Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Sarah Bonner, author of twisty thriller Her Perfect Twin. After a 15-year career in accounting, Sarah decided to pursue her lifelong dream of writing a novel during the first lockdown in 2020, and later went on to securing an agent and a book deal all in a matter of months. Sarah's whirlwind journey to publication is one we talk about in this episode, as well as her experience of writing a novel set during the lockdown, and her method of planning, which includes something nicknamed her murder wall. But first, here's Sarah with an extract from her perfect twin. I have no memory of my husband taking this photo. It shows me lying on our bed in my underwear, eyes closed, a private smile on my face, It's definitely our bed, with the padded leather headboard I have to wipe constantly because otherwise it accumulates so much dust you think I hadn't cleaned for a year. The white bedding with the little blue forget-me-nots is the one I bought in the January sales last month, and the flowers perfectly match the electric blue bra and knickers I'm wearing. I do not own electric blue underwear. Chris is still in the shower. He's humming some god-awful rock-soft rock song as he splashes water around the ensuite. Keeping an ear out, I dig through the top drawer of the dresser, spilling plain black and flesh-coloured knickers to the floor as I hunt for the more risque items at the back. I find a red lace set that hasn't seen the light of day in, well, probably a year? I don't know, it can't be that long, surely, although it's been a while. But there's nothing blue. Stuffing things back in, I sent someone behind me and turned to come face to face with my husband, wet from the shower, hair hanging around his face. I always liked the red. He smiles lazily at me, holding the towel around his waist with a dangerous casualness, like he could drop it to the floor at any time. He raises both eyebrows, giving me an almost perceptible wiggle of his hips. I blush and look away, trying to ignore his presence behind me as I carry on stuffing everything into the drawer, the feeling of his eyes on the back of my head. "'Were you looking for something?' he asks. Still facing away from him on my knees in front of the dresser, I shake my head. "'Nothing important.' (sighs) It never is, he says with a sigh, scooping his phone from the bed and sauntering towards the little dressing alcove. There was a time in our marriage when I would have reached out and grabbed the towel, when I would have slipped into the scraps of red lace poking out from the humdrum sea of black and tan microfiber cotton blend, chased him around the house. Instead, I pick up my phone and begin scrolling through my own photos. I take a lot of pictures to help me remember, to confirm. Documenting every outfit helps me by linking my memories of what I was doing to the feel of certain fabrics against my skin. If I was wearing cotton or silk or a slightly scratchy jumper like that mauve one I bought last year and still wear even though it gives me goosebumps if I move too quickly. I scroll back through the album dedicated to shopping. The last week, then the last month, but there is no sign of electric blue lace. I definitely did not buy these. And surely I'd remember wearing them. Remember lying on the bed with a little smile and one finger jauntily hooked into the waistband waiting for him to take the picture. There's a chance Chris bought the set and then I put it on for him, too caught up in the moment and the fact that my husband had finally paid me enough attention to go out of his way. But we've been together for four years and he's only ever bought me underwear once, a virginal white set for our wedding night. And since then, nothing. Unless he's trying to fuck with me. Again. Hi Sarah, welcome to the podcast. It's so nice to have you on. I feel like there's an affinity between us because we share the same publisher, Hodder Studio. Yes, we do. So it's very, very uh, lovely to uh, come on the show and have a chat with you, Chloe. 
could you start us off by telling us the plot of your novel Her Perfect Twin? Yes so Her Perfect Twin is a psychological thriller that follows the story of Megan who's a woman in her kind of early mid-30s who's stuck in a very toxic marriage to a man who is he's not very pleasant let's just put it that way Um, She's also an identical twin, although she is estranged from her identical twin. And the novel opens as she discovers that her identical twin and her husband have been having an affair. So she goes to confront Leah, who's the twin, and they have an argument. And Megan accidentally kills her sister. So I say accidentally, it's not a premeditated murder. She doesn't set out to kill her, but that is the result. And so she tries to find a way to essentially get away with it uh, so that she doesn't get sent to prison for murder. And she does that by pretending to be Leah. So her logic is if no one knows that Leah's been murdered, then she can't be accused of anything. And so she sets out living both of their lives for a period of time. Um, And things start to go even more awry when lockdown hits in March of 2020. And she is forced to lock down with her husband, who may or may not know a little bit more than she thought he did. Oh, lots of twists and turns in this novel. (laughs) And I'm going to try my very hardest then. Hopefully you will as well, not to give too much away as we discuss Um, all the uh, twists and turns. Now, the idea for Her Perfect Twin came from a conversation you had um, with some friends during the first lockdown. Can you talk a little bit about that early inspiration for the book? Where did that first seed of an idea come from? Yes, so I had been writing another novel beforehand, um, I think, like most writers, um, I have at least one almost completed novel in a drawer that will probably never see the light of day. Um, but I didn't really know where to take it. And so I started in lockdown writing some more short stories, which I'd never really written before. Um, but I thought, well, we'll give this a try. And maybe short form fiction is, um, is something that's that's a little bit better in a pandemic and in a lockdown. Um, so I started writing this short story about a woman who had an identical twin, And she was trying to decide whether or not she should go on a date with this guy who thought that she was her twin. And it was a little bit joking, a little bit tongue in cheek um, and transpired at the end of it that she was pretending to be the twin because she killed her sister and was trying to get away with it. And that was a short story. I put it in a in a drawer and thought I might enter that into some writing competitions, but I'm not quite sure what to do with it. Something was telling me not to enter it into something yet um and then I'd been writing something else about a woman who kills her husband in lockdown and hides him in a freezer and tries to convince her mother-in-law that he's still alive but he's you know in the garden or in the shower um for the whole of lockdown um and then I remembered a conversation I'd had with some friends of mine about wouldn't lockdown be a terrible time to be living a double life And all of a sudden, those kind of three stories that were different or different elements of that all kind of came together. And I realized that actually, what if Megan had killed her sister, was trying to live this double life, and then had lockdown? And actually kind of linking those elements together um, just made me realize that actually maybe there's a whole novel there. So I immediately kind of set out writing it And 14 weeks later, Her Perfect Twin was pretty much finished in terms of me being able to send it out to uh, agents and things. So, yeah, Yeah, that's incredible. Um, You talking about how kind of these three ideas became one idea really reminds me of something um, a writing tutor said to me once that often when you're working on different projects, sometimes the different projects are actually all one project you just haven't worked out the connections yet so that definitely sounds like something similar to what you experienced one of the really interesting things about your novel um which forms part of the premise is obviously lockdown but it's quite a a difficult topic to write about obviously the fact that we're still living through a pandemic and there was obviously I think a lot of resistance at the beginning to to never deal with that in in writing and in fiction were you nervous about including the lockdown as a plot point 
I was in some ways um, and in, in other ways not. Um, so I was a bit concerned that no one would ever want to read anything that was set in lockdown. Um, and I think particularly when I first started writing it, which was that autumn of 2020, I think everyone was hoping that we were done with it and we could all move on and just kind of forget that that period of time had ever happened. Um, but I think now that we are almost two years into this, actually just to ignore lockdown as if it had never happened or the pandemic as if it had never happened, that that doesn't seem, that doesn't quite work for me because it's been so life-changing for so many people that actually I think we need to start referencing it in some ways, not in everything, obviously. And I understand that some people will never want to read things that have even a hint of it. Mm. Um, but I can see that it, it just has become part of our lives and part of our world. Um, and there have been other books that have dealt with it and that have dealt with it in, in a much bigger way. So I've used it as a very uh, a relatively subtle plot point. So it, the action takes place in lockdown, but there isn't huge references to COVID. Um, it's very much more based around what the lockdown does rather than the pandemic at a more kind of societal level. So, um, but there have been books that have used it much, much more effectively or, or impactfully. Um, so thinking things like 56 Days by Catherine Ryan Howard that is very set and that story could only take place in lockdown, um, which is brilliant. If anyone hasn't read it, go mm. do. It's excellent. I've got um, it. I haven't read it yet, though. <laughs> it's very good. Um, but also there last year, in the middle of a pandemic, there were at least three pandemic novels that I read that were brand new novels. So Last One at the Party, The Stranding and The End of Men, all set in catastrophic pandemics. But we're all fantastic and still brilliantly readable, even though we were in this pandemic ourselves. So I think there is always going to be an appetite for using those life changing elements in fiction. Um, so, yeah, so I was a little bit nervous, but also not. Um, but also I was very mindful to make sure that it was reflective of my kind of experience of the pandemic and particularly that that early bit which was much more around the lockdown and also that fear for friends and family and the kind of what was actually happening in the wider world so I wanted to bring in some of that so that creeping claustrophobia and uncertainty and what is going to happen and how is that going to impact but without talking specifically around um, individuals kind of um, experiences with COVID so no one in the in the book contracts COVID or is a frontline worker or anything like that because that wasn't my experience and I didn't feel it'd be right for me to write about that at that time so if there are any writers listening who want to include the lockdown or the pandemic in their work what do you think your advice would be for them I think my main advice is just to be really mindful if you are talking about the pandemic that your experience might not be reflective of other people's experience. So I'm very conscious that I am you know, very privileged that um, actually I was made redundant at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, my husband can work from home. So and we you know, we have a house with a little garden and actually we're also massive introverts so it wasn't that horrendous but I am also conscious very conscious that a lot of people don't have that same environment or have lots of children that they've had to homeschool or had um were sick themselves or had family members who were very ill or who passed away and so you know or lost jobs and you know at, there are a huge range of experiences that came out of the pandemic. And so I think, yeah, just to be sensitive and mindful that your experience is not necessarily what other people have been through. And I think just if you are going to bring in elements that weren't your lived experience, just make sure you are talking to people who did go through similar to what you are trying to write about. Mm. Yeah, that's great advice and applies for a lot of um, aspects of writing too. 
Um, <laughs> one of the things that so many readers I've seen in your reviews and and my opinion as well is that one of the greatest things about your novel is the narrative voices you use, particularly for Megan. Um, she's really fun to spend a, a novel with, which is a strange thing to say considering some of the things she does, but there's a lot of humour in, in her voice as well. Um, can you talk a bit about how you kind of get into the head of these characters, how you uh, get into their voices? Did it, do you find that they, uh, sounds maybe cheesy to say, but speak to you? What, how's, what's your experience like with that? So it was really interesting writing Megan. So up until starting to write Her Perfect Twin, I'd always written in a third person past tense. Um, but when I wrote the short story that it was originally based on, it came to me with this first person really and really close first person. It's almost like you're in her head or you're chatting to her as if she's your friend. Um, and that just felt really natural when I started writing it uh, into more of a kind of longer form. And it, yeah, just, just her character was just so fully formed in my head right from the beginning that she was really, really easy to write. Um, and it's interesting that people talk about there being black humor in there. And, and I, you know, I obviously, I talk about that when I, when I say, oh, with my book, it's you know, quite mm -hmm, funny yeah. in places. I don't think it's funny because <laughs> I, I think that's just normal thing that you don't personally think you're funny um, yeah. or it's if you do funny. think you're funny, you're generally not. Um, so, and I just, I just think I wanted to write something that was a really quite serious topic, but it's, it's, I think it's how a normal everyday person would deal with it so that you would uh, have these kind of moments where it is a bit more lighthearted because it's such a huge thing to try and wrap your head around that actually she has killed someone and she's trying to get away with murder that I think you just naturally would um, try and find some of the humour in that in that mm -hmm. situation so yeah she was always really easy for me to write um, her voice was really distinct in my head right from the beginning Chris so I won't say too much, but you, I do mm -hmm. switch point of views um, during the novel so that you do and Chris see some is of the Megan's other side. Husband. Yes, um, he was a little bit more difficult to write in that really close first person because he is horrible. He is mm. a really, really vile man, <laughs> um, and so that was a little bit more difficult. But also, it's quite fun in a way yeah. to explore that darker side. Um, so yeah, I just had a lot of fun writing it. And I think that close first person is just how my writing or how my kind of author's voice is coming out in a way that it never did with writing third, third person at all. Um, so that's been really fascinating for me. And now, um, subsequent projects that I've been working on have all used that very similar, obviously it's not Megan's voice, it's a different characters, but using that same close first person I think so do you think you'll gravitate towards first person uh, for writing projects in the future always or do you think you'll ever go back to third person I think so the the current adult project that I'm working on is also first person and I'm also working on a, a young adult thriller that is first person again I think for now I'll probably will use that um, but I'm also conscious that there are times when third person would work better so there are huge limitations of first person because obviously you only know what the character knows. So you are getting all of their bias all the time when you're writing. Um, so yeah, potentially I might look at other projects that are third person, but I just, I like getting into their heads and yeah. writing it as if it's them. <laughs> Especially when you've got to uh, kind of, it's quite a high concept novel. You've got to, you've got to sell it to the reader. That's that this is, uh, you know, murdering someone and stealing their life or uh, taking their identity is you know you've got to you've got to really channel that haven't you when you're writing it so first person works really well for that yeah I don't think <clears throat> I don't think a perfect one would have worked in third person I think you have to have that connection with mm -hmm. Megan um, because you you do have to want her to get away with it otherwise the novel doesn't really work yeah. um, and that's been one of the best things about starting to get reviews coming through of people saying I was rooting for her and I was like, yeah. oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad that that works because that was always going to be the yeah. real trick with this. 
you have to want her to get away with it mm. um and so yeah hearing people saying that they do is brilliant yeah definitely um because of the novel's premise there's quite a lot of research you you will have to have done to work out how Megan's going to cover up her crimes things like drugs she's used and and all sorts as I said I'm I'm trying not to give anything away about what what happens but um can you talk a little bit about the research process were there any times where you wanted to do something and couldn't because you suddenly discovered it wasn't possible or anything like that so the one of the very very first things that I did was to research identical twins and how similar they are and how they are different in some very significant ways. So identical twins don't have matching fingerprints, for example, and they don't have ma- matching irises. So iris scanners at airports and things will tell you apart. Um, and to be fair, I think we all know identical twins, and most identical twins aren't that identical when you get to know them Um, but there's a convention in the US called uh, the I think it's literally just called the twin convention uh, in a place called twinning which is brilliant Um, and they every year have a competition to find the most identical set of twins in the world and when you look at some of the pictures that they've taken of these really identical twins actually it would be possible for some twins to pass themselves off as each other and to use that to their advantage so things like being she's able to unlock Leah's laptop because it has facial recognition on it and so she can um, so she can access her documents and that kind of stuff really easily without needing passwords so some of the things when doing that research actually helped me hugely to figure out how she might get away with it um, and then what things you need to be really mindful of that could ruin the whole thing. <laughs> mm, yeah, you don't want someone to write to you afterwards and say, actually, this wouldn't work. So, um... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that someone will find <laughs> someone will something. Be yeah. Um, did you find that any of your research, like with researching the kind of convention, did any of it like give you any more ideas about any of the sort of twists and turns? Again, trying not to give anything away, but did anything that you found in your research inspire anything new in the plot? There were a couple of things. Um, So there's a couple of things around fingerprinting and when you might um, actually have your fingerprints taken um, that led me in a route. uh, I won't give too much away, but she goes (laughs) on a trip um, and the place that she goes on the trip to Uh, which is Las Vegas, um, is somewhere you have to give your fingerprints when you enter. Um, And so that was a kind of interesting thing to to explore. And it's something that um, I am a terrible gambler and my husband and I go to Vegas normally once or twice a year to play a backjack. Um, So it was really nice as well to draw on that and to be able to bring that that kind of knowledge of, of somewhere like Las Vegas into the book as well which was uh which was really interesting and really useful because we were in lockdown I couldn't travel anywhere so I had to set it in places I knew because you just couldn't you know I couldn't go and visit Paris for example if I decided to to send her to Paris so um yeah it was some of those things felt quite fortuitous at the time in terms of actually uh bringing some of that together so I think we've done really well so far and not giving, giving anything away and, and swerving all the uh, the spoilers. So I just want so to know. Hard. It's I so know. hard. It's so hard I was, uh, when I was researching my questions, I was thinking, uh, like, how can I word this without, without giving anything away? But I think we've done all right so far. When you were deciding on all the twists and reveals, were they happening as you were writing it or did some of them come later in the editing process? So some of them came later. So I'd originally written a synopsis um, for the book before I started writing it, because that was the mistake I made with my first book was it was impossible to write a synopsis on because there wasn't a plot. Mm. So I thought I'm going to write the synopsis first this time, make sure there is a plot. And actually, when I look back at that, it is the first half of the book is almost identical to what I'd originally intended. And then the midpoint onwards is completely different because just writing it, it just went off, I think on its own little tangent. 
Um, so, because I hadn't originally intended to switch into Chris's point of view in the novel, it was a bit of a, I was a little bit stuck with where to go. And I thought I'd read somewhere of um, a technique in terms of just jumping into someone else's head and seeing if that helps you. And just this, again, this kind of voice of Chris just came out and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that works. Um, and that just spun it out in a completely different direction to how I'd originally thought it was going to go. Um, so, which I love that when that happens when you're writing and you're mm. kind of just suddenly there like, oh, what if this happens? <laughs> and then it just, yeah, went off in a completely different direction um which I loved and then he kind of took on a bit of a life of his own which was fantastic mm. so a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As we're on the topic of uh, kind of, you said like writing a synopsis before you write the book and all that's your your plan now. Um, And we all know that a synopsis is every writer's hell. I've seen on your social media, many a notebook, many a chart, I'm gathering from this that you're a big plotter. So was her perfect twin planned out and plotted or was there, um, was it a bit kind of, well, we call it pantsing when it's riding by the seat of your pants. What was, what was your process like for planning her perfect twin? So I wrote a synopsis originally and I stuck to that quite resolutely for about the first half of it. Um, and it was quite structured at that point. And I knew kind of vaguely what was going to happen scene by scene. And then um, when I kind of changed my mind at that, what was going to happen after that midpoint, then it, I didn't plan it at all. And then I had to go back in editing and kind of knit stuff back in and, and make sure that it all flowed still. Um, but that really taught me some very useful things. Um, so one is actually plotting is quite, helpful and quite uh saves quite a lot of time at the end so now I do plot a lot more but I still make sure that I give myself some time when I first start writing to do a bit more free writing Mm. because I think sometimes as you're developing characters that drives changes to the plot because I think if you if for me personally if I plot too much right up front I box myself in And then my characters are doing things and I'm trying to make a character that would do that Mm. rather than making a character. And then 
putting them in a situation and seeing what they do. Um, so I tend to now kind of sketch out a draft synopsis, then write a rough first draft of 50 to 70,000 words and then plot it all out at that point. And uh, I have a massive plotting wall in my bedroom, um, which my husband loves having the murder wall uh, <laughs> in our bedroom, but it's the only room in the house that has a big enough wall uh, to actually be able to put all my sticky notes on it. Um, and I literally at that point will will plot it out uh, beat by beat and chapter by chapter mm. to the nth degree to make sure that it does all tie together. Um, and then that makes it a lot easier if you do need to make a change because you can see how everything flows through. Um, but yeah, I uh, basically need to go and buy some shares in post-it notes, I think. <laughs> so your husband's fine with the murder wall as long as his name doesn't appear on it, basically. Yeah, there was a point in one project where I did have a section that said, how could she kill her husband and make it look like an accident? <laughs> uh, so which I rubbed off. Search history on your uh, browser <laughs> yes there is a there's a running joke in, in crime writing of um you know you just hope the fbi or whatever is mm. the, the uk equivalent never comes to look at your computer but then they'd also find that you spent half your life googling synonyms for yeah. said or walked and realize very quickly that you're just a writer so it's fine. not fine. actually yeah. intending on doing these things or just throw in a few of those searches anyway <laughs> throw yeah. them off the scent <laughs> So um, we've talked a little bit about planning. Are there any books that you are that you would recommend to people who are into planning? And uh, are you a, a Save the Cat fan, or is there any other books that you you kind of gravitate towards that help you with your structuring? So I love Save the Cat, um, and I think Save the Cat is really really useful, particularly when you're first starting out. Um, and one of the things that I love about Save the Cat, particularly the novel writing version, is it uses examples from books that you will have read. Because I sometimes find with some writing books that they are books that I possibly should have read, but haven't. Um, and so Save the Cat's really good because it does use things like Harry Potter, which we've all read Harry Potter, and we've all read The Hunger Games. And, um, and actually that for me as a genre writer is much much more useful because I sometimes find some writing advice books are much more literary fiction based rather than um than genre so yeah I'd say Save the Cat is brilliant um I'm also a big fan of books that are less writing advice and more kind of almost semi-memoiry like Stephen King's on writing and Bird by Bird and those kind of books that talk a bit more about individual writers and their process rather than specifically writing advice. Because um, I do still think that the best place to understand structure and plotting is just to read loads and loads and loads of books, mm. ideally in your genre and out of your own genre as well. Um, but I think that is still the, the absolute best thing you can do to understand how to, to write is to read a lot. Yeah. And I think, like you've said, sometimes it's nice to read the memoirs because you realise you're not the only one going through the hell sometimes of uh, struggling with a particular plot point or your self-doubt and things like that. Yeah, so and, and struggling to get started and mm. to, to, you know, kickstart things um, in terms of writing and the kind of, I suppose, the fear that I think most new writers have around is it a good use of my time and is it ever going to have any kind of payoff mm. um, and I think even if you read someone like Stephen King and he had huge uncertainty about his career at the beginning and whether or not he would be good enough to to publish and things so I think it's it's in a way it's nice to know that even the greats have doubts about their own capability so I, for me personally I find that quite motivating <laughs> to know that um, actually it's entirely normal for everyone to feel sometimes that maybe um, you know you're you should be using your time in a different way uh, particularly if you are writing around work or family and you're maybe turning down commitments um, or turning down opportunities to do other things because you're writing that can sometimes feel quite uh, quite tricky at the beginning um, because you don't have any sense of whether or not you will be able to 
um, publish it. Mm. So I think reading those is, is quite helpful. Yeah, that's really good advice. I want to talk a little bit now about how you got your book deal, because I feel like your journey to publication is like the writer's dream. Um, because your your whole your whole kind of journey happened during the first lockdown. And I think there were a lot of pieces, uh, sort of articles at the time that were like, now's your time to write your novel. And and you did. And you wrote a book during lockdown, found an agent, got a book deal, and it all happened kind of quickly and really excitingly. Can you talk us a little bit about, talk us through how it happened, what what it was like, and also how it's been for you because you did a lot of this without meeting anyone face-to-face as well. Yes, so I um, was incredibly lucky um, and a number of things kind of fell into place at exactly the right time um, in order to, to make things happen. So I, I'd written for a while. I'd been writing for a couple of years before lockdown hit um, on a novel that is in a drawer. One day, maybe it'll come out, maybe it won't. Um, but I'd got to a point where I didn't really know what to do with it. I started looking at courses and so things like Faber Academy, potentially even, even doing an MA. And I was really struggling with this idea of how I'd fit that around work. Um, because I was working full time in, in quite a um, kind of corporate um, long hours type job. And then COVID came along. I got made redundant pretty much overnight. And all of a sudden I had all of this time, but then I didn't have the financial security to actually go and spend lots and lots of money on a writing course. So it kind of flipped the whole thing around for me. And so I, I kind of gave myself six months to think about what I wanted to do and in the meantime I said to myself you know do some writing do some um, reading around writing and you know read some of the craft books and I suppose just work on it more as a, a craft rather than uh rather than anything else and then I had the idea for a perfect twin wrote it in 14 weeks from start to finish, including getting some other readers to give me some feedback on it. Um, and I <laughs> I remember having a Zoom chat with my previous colleagues. Um, we were having some wine on Zoom. It was all very lovely. And they all said to me, so Sarah, are you looking for another job? And I was a bit like, um, I kind of wrote a book. And I hadn't really intended to say it, but you know, as I said, I had a glass of wine. And, um, and so my old colleague said, we'll send it to us and we'll tell you what we think. And I was like, oh. No pressure or anything. Um, yeah, no pressure. But the nice thing was that having worked with these guys for years, um, I knew that if it was awful, they'd tell me to go and get a proper job. <laughs> and they didn't. And they said, actually, we really like it. Carry on writing it. Um, and that was that was really great from my perspective because it gave me the uh, it gave me the confidence to actually go and send it out. So I started researching agents, found a kind of short list of ones that I liked the sound of, who I thought might be a good fit, and then I was doing a final check of um, submission guidance of you know is it fifty pages or three chapters or ten thousand words or whatever. Um, and noticed on the DH Literary website that they were running a pitch event that you submitted uh, your query pack and then they would select a group of people who they'd have like a one-to-one on Zoom with, with some of the agents. And so I applied for that um, the day it closed because that was literally the next day. So hence this idea of massively fortuitous timing. Mm. Um, And yeah I got an email from them a couple of days later to say we really like it here's a pitch slot on Friday uh mass panic um and yeah and I I remember sitting on a zoom call with with Hannah and she said look I really like it um send me the full so I sent her the full and she read it over the weekend and offered to represent me on the Monday so it was literally it was it was so short a process it was incredible and she's so enthusiastic about the book and it just it crossed her desk at exactly the right time and that was exactly the kind of thing she was after she was open to taking on a new client and I think that's the the kind of takeaway from all of this is 
you there is a huge luck element in mm. some of this stuff around just hitting people's desks at the right time and um yeah so she offered to to represent me we worked on the novel over christmas and sent put it out on sub in the january so wow that is a real quick turnaround yeah, <laughs> yeah really quick i suppose it, it it hasn't really given you a huge amount of time to let it sink in but is it starting to feel a bit more real now that you're a week away from well actually by the time this podcast goes out the book will be out so um how is it feeling now i guess it's feeling a lot more real now it is starting to feel real so there was a long period of time where i'd met no one associated mm-hmm. with writing at all um because i got my agent in the december and we subbed it out in the january but that january we went into lockdown essentially for what three four months mm. so i didn't meet anyone in the team and everything was done on zoom and in fact i still haven't met my editor uh, my publicist my uh, pr team I've not met anyone from at all from Hodder Studio yet. Uh, I am having lunch with them in a couple of weeks to celebrate launch, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, which will be fantastic to meet them. And I've met my agent once. <laughs> so um, it's, yeah, there was a long period of time where I was a little bit paranoid that maybe this was all a big hoax. <laughs> um but yeah it's so interesting and I now I actually have physical copies of the book as well it's feeling a lot more real that I can actually hold it and see it and go this is actually a book you've given a lot of great advice already throughout this podcast I think there'll be a lot of writers that are listening that have picked up on some great things that you've said but have you got any have you got say a top three um selection of tips for people who want to write twisty thrillers like yours i do so so three three things so number one is always read a lot so i noticed a huge change in my writing and my confidence in my writing when i started reading a lot more um and particularly read current stuff in the genre you're trying to write so if you want to write twisty thrillers go and read all of the twisty thrillers that are out there and there are a lot um and that just gives you a flavor of a what people are writing but also what what you can and can't do not that i think there's anything you can't do but um this you know kind of how you might do things in on the page just read lots um i think particularly when you're talking about twists the main thing is to make sure that it's congruous like it makes sense so I much prefer it as a reader if I don't necessarily know what's going to happen but when it does happen I'm go I'm sitting there going oh that's clever mm. rather than what 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 the hell so it has to make sense in the context of the book and it has to be something that you have left some breadcrumbs or some signposts that that is going to be the twist or the reveal because otherwise you're just blindsiding the writer uh, the reader in that i i personally as a reader i don't like that um or you're it's also it's ra- also nice as a reader to be able to go back and go ah oh, that was the clue that was yes. that was the, the seeds being planted for the twist I love that about twisty books. I think that's my favorite thing. You, you feel like a little, you're you're kind of like a, a hindsight detective going back and and picking out all the all the all the hints. Yes, and it's that they're all because they're normally there, <clears throat> particularly with with a good thriller, they will be there, um, but you don't necessarily pick them up as you're reading it. But yeah, I always love to kind of go like, oh, that's clever, rather than yeah, think. I don't have any idea where that came from. Um, yeah, so yeah, don't have some random person come in on the final page and be like, I was the killer. <laughs> and you've never seen them before because that just makes no sense mm. and it has no pay or value for your reader. Um, and then the final piece of advice is keep asking why when you're writing. So really understand the motivation and why your characters do things and make sure it holds up to scrutiny. So I think that... Um, particularly when you're talking about why people do quite horrendous things it can be quite easy to go because oh, they're a sociopath <laughs> uh, 
and that's fine. Um, but it still has to hold together as to why, because they, you know, despite the fact that they're a sociopath, why they would still do those things. So I just think that's um, that's my kind of big piece of advice is just keep asking why all the time when you're writing, um, just to make sure that yeah it does hold up to that scrutiny because your readers will be asking, well, why would they why would they do that and why would they say that? So um, yeah, I think just really drill into that when you're writing and when you're plotting particularly. Yeah, that's very good advice. Like you say, you want you want it to. Um you want the reader to understand the motivation behind the character. Um, can you think of some other books that you can compare her perfect twin to so readers will know if this book is going to be the one for them? So there are a couple of books that I found quite inspirational uh, when I was first writing her perfect twin. Um, and one of them is a book called My Lovely Wife by Samantha Downing. Um, that was her debut thriller. She subsequently published another two, which are also fantastic. Um, but that's about a husband and wife who spice up their marriage by being a little murdery. Um, <laughs> but it's it's again, it's that um, it's that idea of writing a character who's really personable and you really like, despite the fact that they do some things that are a little bit. But they're quite morally great actually <laughs> i mean murder tends to be yeah <laughs> yeah it does it does um i think things as well um so last year bella mckay's um how to kill your family that has again that slightly similar um slightly sarcastic but you like her and you go along with the story mm-hmm. even though um again hers are much more premeditated that's much more of a revenge thriller um but yeah she does she does go and uh well it's called how to kill your family so i don't think it's about killing your family um so and i do i do love the fact that there's probably an awful lot of people out there who got that book for christmas mm, i did see it on a lot of people's instagrams over christmas there'll be some side eyes going on in the in the family uh christmas day <laughs> yes definitely definitely so i think i just think there there are some great um there is just some great female driven or female-led thrillers out there at the moment um there's a sally hepworth book called my good sister or the good i think it's sorry i think it's the good sister which is again about twins although they're not identical and about their relationship um and so i think um in fact i think my publisher has used that as a comparison um on netgalley um for you know if you like uh, that's Sally Hepworth novel you'll like this yeah. um so yeah again um it's quite dark but not serious if that makes any sense mm-hmm. at all as a distinction um so yeah I think there are some some great um slightly funny uh crime thrillers coming out at the moment which is uh which I, I think is great because I think it's starting to merge that genre with some of the things that I I mean I really like uh, some romance but I like the kind of funnier end of rom-coms and it feels a little bit sometimes like you're starting to merge some of those genres mm. together which is um, which I love as a reader so yeah so finally you've talked a little bit about the two books that you're working on at the moment uh, or um, have finished your YA thriller and a new adult thriller can you tell us a little bit about the premise of these Uh, Yes. So my second adult book um, is a story of two women who both um, received the same threatening anonymous letter that suggests that their husbands are trying to kill them. And then it follows their stories as they try and uncover um, what it all means, who's behind it. Um, Again, really, really twisty. Uh, It has some, some big uh, twists in there uh, a similar style in terms of that really close first person writing um, but with two main um, female protagonists in this one um, and then the young adult is quite twisty again it's again it's a thriller um, but that is um, obviously being YA the protagonists are of teenage girls and that was hugely um, fun to write um 
uh, apart from I did have to listen to a lot of early 2000s pop songs to make me feel like I was a teenager again. <laughs> I'm sure my husband well, loves the fact that I've been blaring Aguilera. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun bit of research. That's fine. Is there anything else that you're working on or you're editing at the moment? What's what's your current project? So the second adult is with my editor at the moment and my young adult, I'm literally just finishing um, so that that can go hopefully out on submission. Um, And then, yeah, thinking about the next project Mm, and trying to decide which idea and which direction to go in. Um, So I think I'll start writing on another, I'll start working on another adult soon. Um, But I tend to... Uh, write a lot of notes over a period of time and then wait until I've got a block of time that I can just really kind of deep dive the writing into so I almost write very similar to kind of Nano Remo um, mm-hmm. of just get words down like once I'm in it I like to stay in it and I think particularly with thrillers that really really helps um, and that really helps to kind of hold the twists and the reveals together because you remember what you've been writing I think if I tried to write um some of these books over a much longer period of time I'd lose my thread of what I'd dropped through it if that makes any sense so yeah I like to kind of I suppose clear my desk and then just sit down and write um, (laughs) you know kind of four or five thousand words a day if I can for a couple of weeks and see where it goes so yeah well that's that's incredibly impressive and uh I wish you all the luck for your next project and your two that you're working on at the moment um thank you so much Sarah for being a guest it's great to talk to you thank you so much for having me that was Sarah Bonner talking about her thriller her perfect twin which is out now and available to buy thank you so much for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts see you next time Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.